Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. At this point, we're going to dig into... um, some scripture. Um, I'm not going to get to the scripture for a little bit, but if you want, if you want to open up to Luke chapter 19, uh, we're going to look at a story there uh, about Zacchaeus, a uh, tax collector, um, and his encounter with Jesus. But the first thing I want to do is kind of give you guys an overview of where we've been and where we're going. Um, we're in the last theme or core value of who we are as a church. So we've been going through these core values. Um, I showed you guys our whole faith, uh, cheesy uh, artwork there that we got, um, because Whole Foods is a good thing to rip off. Just kidding. Um, No, um, it it captured these three themes perfectly, because they have that logo already going for me. And I was like, cool, this works. But um, this idea of looking upward, that as disciples, we have to have these core values in us. This isn't just a GP thing. it's a Christ-centered biblical thing, all right? And so what Jesus invites us to look up to God, to center our focus on him. Um, and then the second part of that is an inward focus. So it's inwardly looking and reflecting, discerning where we are at um, with our emotions, with our intellect, uh, with our feelings, all these things. We don't just base it on just on feelings, but we need to think about these things as well as we feel about these things um, in our relationship with Jesus. And, um, and that part of that is what we would call discipleship. It's recognizing that we are shaped inwardly. But then we're not just shaped inwardly. We are shaped inward in order to serve outward. And so last week we started that, that theme of outward. I'm going to kind of finish it up today. Um, last week I spoke more about how that outward posture looks, starting with just looking and being concerned of the needs of others. Um, But this week, I'm going to talk a little bit beyond that. Like the circle of influence that you have immediately is is something you need to pay close attention to and serve and love and care for. But we need to go beyond that immediate circle of influence. That we need to have compassion for not just the people that are easy to be around or easier to be around, I should say, um, but everyone, right? So compassion for all people. And so That's where we're going to look at what Jesus does in in people's lives and how they begin to um, be transformed by that. And so um, the first thing I want to point out is this word called Ubuntu. Has anybody heard of this term before? Anybody? Raise your hand. Yeah, nice. One person. So a lot of people are going to learn about this. Okay, so Ubuntu is this, it's from South Africa, um, but it's this term that I heard someone say in a podcast, and I was like, wow, that is, that is a beautiful way to put this, uh, where we're going with this. But it says, I am me because of others. And it's a concept that in that culture, they constantly recognize that I am only existing because others exist around me and allow me to exist in a way. So there's, like, there's nuance to it, and you can get into it. Um, a lot of it comes from an agricultural community where some people would have farms that would not produce. And in those times, the farms that did produce would help out those that didn't. And so there's this idea that like we all work together in this. And I th- love that because when I heard that, I was like, our humanity, our understanding of who I am and who, how I exist and how I live only exists because of others. 
And the way that I thrive is when you guys thrive. And having that mindset is, it's kind of big picture, right? It's not just me, myself, and I, and my agenda, and what I want to do, and what I want to get done. It's big picture. It's looking really big. And, um, and so then I got this visual this week as I was driving to pick up my kids. I saw these people on a tandem bike. Have you contemplated? Has anybody ridden a tandem bike consistently for a while? Okay. <laughs> We've only got one person in the room just for the podcast. Um, I want you just to think about the mindset of the rider in the back of a tandem bike. Okay? I never did. Never did. I've never done it. I've never. Oh, never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the thought that came to my mind. So as I was like, there was this, this couple on a, on a tandem bike, and they were kind of making it to where I couldn't go around them. So I was like, whatever, I'll just cruise. Like, they're having fun. And I was like, just thinking about it, I was like, the person in the back could just like lift off their legs and they would never know. And they'd just be like gliding along, you know? I was like, I would fully just lift my legs off. And, um, and I want you to think about the theology, the understanding of a tandem bike, okay? Get, wrap your heads around this. The person in the back, like solely think about from the perspective of the person in the back. What is that life like? Think about it. It's horrible. <laughs> but why? It's horrible. You have no control. That's my second thought that came. I was like, first I was like, my feet are going off. They're doing all the work. And then I was like, but wait, there's just handlebars. There was like no way to turn. I was just like, what if you're just like, no, we're turning now. And yeah, you got to be so trusting of that front person. I've tried to find the cheesiest tandem bike picture I could find, but I think I found it. Um, and so the guy in the front is just like, I, I'm driving this thing, you know? And, um, and I'm beginning to think about that in our faith and our relationship with God, that there's a trust that has to take place, that we're almost that, that rider in the back that could let our feet off the pedals, fully coast, and be like, you do all the work, you got this, God. Um, or we can keep our feet on the pedals and do our part. Um, and you have no control. You're along for the ride. Any other analogies that you guys can think of? You can't see quite often, right? You're like, where are we going? What's next, you know? You're trusting that person's going to turn and do the right thing. That's a good one. If the front rider leans left and you lean right, and I don't know, maybe... I, I don't know what happens. Like, does it keep going? <laughs> Do you carry on? Do you just, yeah, exit? You say that again? Oh, if you can't see, it gives you some freedom because you're just like, hey, you're in charge. You, you take us there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, there's like a, right? There's a sense of joy. Like, I can just pedal along and just contribute to this and just go, you know, like. We're heading there fast. Um, I don't know. I, I thought about those two things, this idea of Ubuntu, of us being more of a we than a me, and, and this idea that there's a trust that happens, and that's really what I hit on last week. I think the tandem bike sums up last week's sermon. So you don't have to listen to last week's if you missed it. It's tandem bike, okay? Um, trusting that God's leading us somewhere um, and not worrying about it. That was the big thing about last week was like not worrying, knowing that like God will provide if he calls you to do something where you need to be generous to somebody that um, 
You don't, you don't know where that's going to go, where it's going to end up, or how it's going to work out. It's just trusting that God's taking you somewhere that's good and, um, and having that, that sense of faithfulness to, to what God is doing, I think is really good. And so I just say that because I think this analogy, I hope this carries us through this sermon and what we're going to talk about right now. Um, as we think about outward focus and outward posture as a church, as grace and peace, um, but also as individuals, because we leave this place on a Sunday morning, and then we go into our jobs, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but these core values, they shape us. They shape us to understand the world in a certain way, and if we see the world as kind of how, sadly, the church has shaped us to think that, like, my faith is just my faith between me and Jesus, and we just say a little prayer, and we do our thing during the week, and we're good to go, and he makes me feel good, and when things are going rough, but that's kind of limiting. I feel like if it's just about us personally having this personal relationship with Jesus, we miss out on really the, the big picture of what Jesus is trying to do in all of creation when he talks about, I'm making all things new. I'm doing a beautiful work through everything, and I'm inviting you to be a participant in this. So hop on the tandem bike and let's go, right? Um, But this way that scripture talks about outward posture, outward focus, um, is often tied to, which what I'm going to use, because I think this is where kind of the rubber meets the road, is I think our faith and our posture and outward focus and mission is always tied to our vocation um, and what we do. And vocation isn't necessarily just what you get a paycheck for, but it's what you do during the week. Um, It's the thing that you're passionate about. It's the thing that you work towards. um, And the kind of the scriptural basis for this is when you see Jesus praying, when um, the the question is raised of like, how do we pray? How do we begin to really pray as God wants us to pray? Jesus responds with this. He says, basically, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That there's a desire for the way that things are in heaven, which are love, um, generosity, you know, caring for one another, this kind of like uh, care for others and uh, a deep love and passion for God and others. Um, that we desire for that to come here on earth in our daily life. And our daily life, for many of us, Monday through Friday is a job, right? And so if we're going to say we want to be disciples, we want to live the way that Jesus wants us to live, it's your kingdom come, your, the way of love needs to come into my life and my vocation. And so when we think about vocation, there's a few examples that we see in Scripture. Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament letters, was a tent maker. He made tents in order to like help fund what he was doing. Um, some argue that he didn't necessarily make tents out of like a passionate, like he just loved tents and tents were amazing. It was a way of providing for the mission, right? Like he wasn't just like, yeah, Kelty is my game, you know? Like um, it was more of a way of like providing for the mission and what he was doing um, as a minister of the gospel. And um, other examples we see where Jesus supports those that are in certain callings. Um, He didn't just call all disciples and everybody just like leave your job, leave your family and do everything like I call you to do. There was 12 that did that, but there was a whole lot of other people that encountered Jesus and had regular day jobs and Jesus sent them back into those places. 
Um, there's a soldier, for one example, that comes to him and says, hey, I have you know, a prayer request for you, basically. And Jesus says, go back and your, your soldier will be healed and sends him back into his job. He doesn't say, well, now that you've encountered me, like, leave your job, leave, leave the military, leave all this stuff, and come follow me. He says, go back and live out your faith. You are a faithful servant in that place. And so there's an invitation that Jesus has of, like, just in whatever call we have, wherever we're placed to serve him, be obedient to that call of being outward focused and reaching out. And the best example that I can think of is Zacchaeus. And maybe you've heard the story of Zacchaeus. It's in Luke chapter 19. It's 1 through 10. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. Um, But let me read this, and then we can begin to see how Jesus interacts with somebody who um, has a deep transformation of faith, a deep transformation of who they are and their identity. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and a chief tax collector, it says he's wealthy, um, would have been in charge of other tax collectors, and um, tax collectors were not liked in the society because they would overtax people in that community. So naturally, we would all hate them too, probably, with love, right, and respect. But we would, we would not be a fan of this, right? Like, they, they were stealing. It was legit stealing from the people in that community. So he's wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short and could not see over the crowd, uh, uh, but couldn't because he was short and could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. This is something to highlight, underline, recognize the critique that comes from the city. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is the son of Abraham, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus transformed his life. Zacchaeus was outcast. You even see the comments from people in the city saying Jesus has gone to hang out with sinners. Um, Jesus went straight to the least of these. And you see how he went and engage with somebody in that community who was an outcast, who was disliked. And we don't have all the conversation and the interaction, but we do know that he went and had a meal with them. That he was like, I want to go to your house and eat food. And in that culture, that would have been a deep sense of respect, of love, that if you're like, I want to go to your house and have a meal with you, that's like sharing like the most intimate part of your life, right? Like It's like, this is where you share really who you are, and it's demonstrating how much Jesus loves him. 
first of all, that demonstrates the love of Jesus to me. Like the first thing I see there is just like a, a, a deep love for those that, as he says, are lost, those that are hurting, those that are broken, those that are feeling like they just do not connect. There's no Ubuntu involved in Zacchaeus's life. He feels like he's probably alone, right? Because of choices that he's made, but at the same time, what Jesus does is goes in and brings revival, brings new life, brings like a refreshing spirit to his life. And what do you see him respond with? generosity. You see him go, you know what? I'm given, how much was it? Do you remember? Half my possessions to the poor. That's a big chunk. If I asked you to give half of whatever you have right now to the poor, it'd be a big chunk of your life. That's a big commitment. This isn't like a light, like, oh, I'll just throw a little tip on the top here, just a little like extra cash that I got like from previously ripping somebody off to like the poor. It was like, I'm giving half. And then it goes on and says, and anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to repay him four times. So you see a sense of transformation in Zacchaeus' life. Like true revival, like a, a shift in his mind that like who Jesus is, is so transformative that like I'm going to change the way that I live my life and the things that I've done and the wrongs that I've done that I'm going to go out and to people that probably hate me right now and that don't like me, that aren't part of my inner circle, and I'm going to go and be generous to them. And I'm going to do something that is so radical, so countercultural, right? That he's taken his job, his vocation, and said, I'm going to use my vocation to demonstrate the love that I've experienced from Jesus. This rocks me. This is like one of my favorite passages, that as I watch how Jesus interacted with Zacchaeus, the response that Zacchaeus has... And then, like, the way that he goes out and is, like, instantly he goes from, like, he's just not going to sit and have a Bible study about it and be like, well, what does Jesus really want me to do, you know? Like, it goes from inward transformation straight to outward, like, well, this has changed my life. I need to change other people's lives. Like, this is so real. Like, I can't hold on to this. This has to go out. And so when we talk about these postures, like, this is the posture of outward generosity, focus, love, concern, all that stuff. It's just outwardly focused as a result of what's inwardly taken place. And so we can't fake that. You can't, you can't just, uh, I don't know, will this into existence, wanting to love people. But I think when you see Zacchaeus and you see the love that he has, I hope the first thing you hear is that Jesus loves us, loves us deeply, more than we can even comprehend. And it I know that that can seem cliche, it can sound redundant, maybe if you've been around the church for a long time, but man, like, he loves us. Like, he truly loves us as we are. Like, as you sit here, however your week's been, whatever's going on, like, he loves us. And he brings this, like, renewal to our lives, this, like, refreshing sense of, like, ah, I can let my shoulders down, I can relax, I can know that, like, God is in control. I can know that whatever's happening, like, it's in his hands. And that then moves us to then be generous, to be kind, to be outward focused, to have our eyes turned to the needs of others, which is so beautiful. Um, there's a book, 
by Stanley Hauerwas called Resident Aliens, and he talks about how we live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in this world, right? In our minds, I know that like I wrestled with this, I was talking with, with Randy and Micah this week um, in our study. So many times the reality of where we're at, like the, the foot that we are in of like reality here, the physical, sometimes is so so much more tangible, so much seems so much more real than the kingdom life that exists just beneath the surface, the Holy Spirit life, the, the stuff that's unseen, right? And I think it's easy for us to like, just be very, I don't know, concerned about the world and what's going on and our physical life, the pains that we have, whatever it is, and totally forget what God is doing and what he's ushering in behind the scenes, what he's doing internally, um, what he longs to do. And so this idea of resident aliens is this idea that like Matthew, like Zacchaeus, the tax collectors that turned apostles, um, it recounts Jesus' actions and teachings to show us how God intends to live and work in his new kingdom. It's this new way of living. As followers of Jesus Christ, he says, we live in two worlds, one foot in the reality of the kingdom and one foot here. And we have to begin to recognize how valuable both are. And Zacchaeus understood it. Zacchaeus knew, like, there's a kingdom that's bigger than money, that's bigger than all that's going on here. And Jesus demonstrated that to him to where he started to go, oh, you know what? I have one foot way too heavy in this world right here. I need to recognize that there's another kingdom that's doing amazing things that wants to transform us. And um, this revival that I see in Zacchaeus, it reminds me, like, it caught my attention this week. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of what's happening at, like, Asbury University and some other places. They say that, like, these revivals have been breaking out, like, on college campuses where people are, like, college students are just getting together and worshiping that started with a chapel service that they say was just a normal, like the speaker wasn't like some crazy, oh, like insane amounts of like gospel being preached that was just on fire. They said it was just like an average chapel service. No crazy worship band, like Hillsong wasn't there, like rocking out. It was just like they got together and they just said, we want to continue to worship. And they've been doing it for like 200 hours, they said. Like, it just kept going. It just kept going and going and going. And people kept showing up and being like, what is going on? Like, what is God doing? And people confessing sin and just getting completely wrapped up in it. And then other campuses have been reporting the same exact thing. Like, where the Holy Spirit has been showing up and people are just hungry to worship. Hungry to like, I just want to be with God. I get chills like thinking about it. And I've seen like other people respond because there's so much social media buzz about it right now. But other people responding how like it's been happening in their churches and like other countries that have been saying like underground churches have been experiencing some of this. And I'm like, oh, I want that, that kind of revival, that excitement. And I, I got chills because uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, I had that same thing where like I've it was a hunger for Jesus that I couldn't explain that I haven't experienced before, where it was just like, I just want to be with Jesus, right? I told Jason, Jason knows about this. I was like, I just want to be with him. Like, and I've never, like, I've always, like, intellectually known a relationship with God and I've, like, love it and, like, love what God does. But, like, sometimes I feel like you just, there's so much going on in our world 
and so much going on sometimes that it's like, I just want to be with Jesus. Like, I just want to be with the one who brings life and life to the full. And I think that's what people are hungry for. That's what we're seeing in these revivals that are happening. And there's nothing special about what's happening. Like, one of the, the things I saw, it said, like, there's no famous speaker or worship team, like I mentioned. No leadership. This is all student-led. Um, there was no agenda. There was no, like, marketing program that was involved in this. There was nothing like that. It was all just grassroots people just hungry for God. And I think that that's a result of our culture that is so burnt out on stuff that doesn't deliver, that we're just like, I want something more. I want something that's actually meaningful and like sustains my life and isn't some kind of polished programming or some kind of like conjured up way of like encountering some new life. But it's like, I just want Jesus. Like we don't need lights, anything like we just want Jesus. That's it. And, and so what I see in Zacchaeus and what I see in scripture and what I see how people interacted with Jesus that were transformed, their life has been just completely turned upside down and then they think outward. And so kind of the, thing, the response that I had from like hearing these revivals and one of the comments that someone said was like, we don't need anything to create revival. It's literally like, it, it's us just hungry for God. Like that's it. And so it could happen here. Like it could happen in your life on Tuesday at work, right? It doesn't have to be with a guitar and someone singing. It could be anywhere. And I think that's just my reminder and, and what I would encourage us today is that revival can happen in the way that you live your job. Revival can happen in your day-to-day life. And I would hope that, because I already, and, and I just have to like put a disclaimer, like I hope that you don't hear that loving the immediate circle of people around you is important, but I think revival is also like serving those that are difficult to love and difficult to spend time with and difficult to reach out to and that it's going to cost time and energy. And, and so I think that that's part of revival is that like going out and serving and loving people beyond our friend circle, right? Um, that when life has been transformed and we've been revived and changed, that then we go out like Zacchaeus and we go, you know what, I'm like, I want to go help people. Like I want to, I want to make things right. I want to begin to usher in the kingdom of God here where we are at. And so I just, I hope that we can have that kind of holistic perspective that um, I drew up this little Venn diagram, got to draw, draw stuff and get creative with it. But I think it's the best visual for me to understand that like when I have that upward relationship, just like that abiding desire to be with God, it's going to change inward who we are. And then we're going to go outward. And I think when all those work together, it's beautiful. And the last thing I want to hit on in a couple minutes is if we are imbalanced, if we are just sitting in a room worshiping, singing songs, and inwardly just transformed in love with God, I think that's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. I think that's abiding. But I think the second part of abiding is abounding, where we begin to go out. The abiding, the part that just transforms us, moves us out into the outward to where then we have this like beautiful synergy of how God works to where then it's not just me, God, worshiping, doing our thing, but it's like me worshiping, being transformed, and then going out. And, and this is like a picture of a whole faith, a faith that is like centered in Jesus, completely 
um, I don't know, centered in what he's doing and what he wants to do uh, through us. And uh, yeah, and, and so I've wrestled with this idea of what this looks like, that um, if we're just inward, I think that that can be basically a monk in a monastery. That's kind of the visual I get. Um, if we're just inward and upward. If we are just outward, it's just social justice. It's just stuff that anybody could do. Um, but when you begin to put all those together, I think social justice, we all agree, is needed. We want that, yes. But we also recognize that there's not just a physical need that be, needs to be taken care of. There's a spiritual need. And I think when you have all these things working together, when God's involved in that social justice, that then there begins to be a holistic transformation where the person that's starving is fed with food, but then also their soul is fed to where then they are then revived and brought to new life. And then there's a, like a transformation that's so much deeper than what bread can bring. Jesus talks about that. We don't need to get in that side sermon, but um, that we don't just live on bread alone. There has to be like a full sustaining physical and a spiritual aspect to it. And so I would just encourage you to think about how we engage in our faith on this kind of holistic way of um, don't neglect any part of it. It's all needed. We need revival. We need people worshiping and falling on their knees and surrendering and abiding. But then we also need people that are like, okay, I'm going to abide in the parts of my life where it's difficult to go and serve people, listen to people, help them where they are needed, um, and begin to look outward. Um, the, the, I guess, tied into that is um, kind of the, the way that I've wrestled with this over time is um, doing trips to Haiti. Um, we've done a ton of trips there. And every trip, I think we end up in a conversation of like, how do you begin to really make change that's lasting? How do you begin to like initiate something that really makes a difference? And, um, and you start to ask like, is what we are doing making a difference? right? Um, we would take teams of people, and we'd go and serve, and we'd dig wells and, um, and do training for pastors and, and just all kinds of stuff where you're like, is this, is this making a difference? And, and there's little bits of it and hints of it where you see change happening, but then you start to go, well, like, my plane ticket cost X amount. Couldn't I just give X amount to them? And wouldn't that just solve part of the problem and, like, take me out of the picture? And, you know, you just kind of go through all these, like, mental gymnastics of, like, how do you best serve? And as I would go through that process personally and with other people, generally when you have like somebody who's new in their faith and they go to, on a mission trip, they're like, minds are blown. And they're like, well, how can we just really make a difference, you know, and like get very like just driven to like find whatever way to make a difference. And what I've discovered in the end is that it really comes down to like a deep love for God and other people. And what you're doing with that I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but I think it's less important. I think it's more important that we're hungry for God and hungry for other people to experience God. Then you're going to, when you see somebody hurting, you're going to go help them. When you see something that exists, you're going to go and be a part of that, that problem to like resolve that problem, whatever's going on. Um, that's where we begin to just like engage in the process. And I think the process is what God does 
where God does beautiful things, where he begins to transform us who are serving as well as those that are receiving whatever that, um, that generosity is. And so, yeah, I would just say, like, as we go outward, there's no right or wrong way. I think there's, there's the loving way of just being obedient to what God's calling us to. And then we discover that it's, it's more about what God wants to do than what we want to do or whatever way we think the best solution is for whatever problem is. And then we begin to abide by that. Um, the last thing I want to I say is a little, just a little caveat to serving and thinking outward and having that outward posture is that because of phones, because of internet, there's a thing that can happen in our lives where we get what's called compassion fatigue or you get overwhelmed by all the problems and you're like, well, then I don't know what to do because there's so many. Where do I even start? And just do nothing, right? Um, and I would say, don't feel guilty for that. Like, and, and don't feel like you have to do all things or be all things to all people. I think the best thing is to begin to pray and say, God, where are you calling me to? How can I use my gifts, my vocation, my skills, my abilities, my passion to serve people and then start there and just be obedient in those small things um, because it will be overwhelming. If you go on a mission trip and you travel around the world and you go, or even if you go outside your friend circle and you start engaging people that are challenging to be with, it will get overwhelming, I promise. Like there's plenty of needs in our world. It will get there. But if we approach it with this attitude that says, I simply just want to serve and I'm going to do my part, you will sustain because you'll be working out of God's power and not your own. So I just wanted to make that little like distinction just real, real quick there on the end. Um, we, we can't be all things, all people, but you can start with your, your part and discern that and listen to the Holy Spirit and allow him to just to, to shape you in those ways. And so my closing invitation with these couple of questions, um, who can you partner up with? Because I think Jesus sent out, when he sent them out of their typical little discipleship circle, he sent them out two by two. And so the question I want to give you is, who can you partner up with to be on mission and sharing the gospel and reaching out and serving? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's, you know, um, people that you have long-time relationship with and serving and you know that they're believers. Who can you partner up with? Maybe it's at your work. Um, who are people that you can partner with and say, how can we begin to serve the people around us? What's the loving thing we could do to our coworkers? What's the loving thing we could do for whoever? Somebody that's outside of your, your typical, your friend circle. Um, and the second part of it is, where do you sense God inviting you to serve? Um, it's real simple. I just wanted to give these questions to help guide us into this week, um, into any discussions you have in life groups, um, but to begin to just think, what, where do we begin to serve? Where do we begin to recognize where God might be inviting us to love, to serve, and use our gifts, skills, and abilities? Um, should we, let's close with a song. I'm going to just invite these guys up, and we'll, um, let me pray over us as we, um, I think, step into this challenge of being outward-focused. Um, I hope this doesn't come as like a task to load on to you, but I hope your response is the same way as Zacchaeus, is that like Jesus' overwhelming love resulted in his change, his way of living. And so um, that's my invitation to us. So let's pray. Father, uh, we just, we love you, God. We love the way that you work, that you don't just um, 
kick down our doors, but you, you gently knock and you want to come in and have a meal with us and you long to transform life from the inside out. And so, Lord, I pray that um, we'd be open to that transformation, but then we also recognize that um, you want to use us to go and serve, to step out of the, our comfort zone, our, the places that are easy to love, um, to go and be generous, loving, kind people that reflect your love, Jesus. So give us that strength. Your Holy Spirit will lead us as we go out into this this week, Lord. Um, Yeah, we'll turn our gaze to you.